This is the VMware Financial Services podcast series called Don't Break the Bank, Run It and Change It. It's a podcast for curious minds in the financial services industry. I'm Matthew O'Neill. I'm the Financial Services Industry Managing Director at VMware in the office of the CTO. I've been with VMware now for two and a half years. Prior to that, I spent 30 years of my career in banking and banking IT. The aim of this podcast is to try and answer some questions that, that in my prior life, I didn't even know I had as questions. Today, I'm joined in our European head office in Staines in the UK, underneath the Heathrow flight path, by my colleague Spencer. So then, Spencer, I've seen you around here a lot. What do you do? What do I do? Good question. Well, let me first introduce myself. So I'm the Chief Technologist for End User Computing, or what we'd now call Digital Workspace. Uh, been with the company 12 years, 12 and a half years. Uh, previous life, which I'm sure we'll talk about in banking, and I used to work in um, Symantec as well. So all things end user computing for, what, 25 plus years? You wouldn't know it, but yeah, 25 plus years. And I agree, they're lovely sunny stains and a nice River Thames behind us as well, which you can't here so thanks for having me here today and um and you know i think we've got the bank the banking background um as a as a common theme uh, but also you know i've spent a lot of my career in end user computing as well so it feels like a topic close to home can we start talking a little bit about the various personas that um that within the bank we kind of think about and and you know I, i'm not sure that i've got them all or whether or actually whether we do it that way anymore to be honest so you know i, I think when i when i used to think about these as problem areas or, or opportunity areas we'd got kind of branches and we'd got back office be that in in country or or, or global remote um head office developers and traders is that is that still what we do i mean is that is still that the right way to be thinking about end user computing well <laughs> i'm gonna go back a little bit here and kind of think of you said that we've both got some shared banking experience so if i paint the story of when i first joined so what 95 ish i believe it or not i do remember working with kicks and mainframes and oh, too, token rings and all those wonderful things yellow and blue cables if we if we go back that far um, but yeah, so for me, and I still see this in banking today, so it's interesting when you said, do we still look at personas? I kind of think we do, but we we kind of pay them scarce uh, respect, so to speak, because actually a lot of IT people still think of everybody as the same. And I know that when I used to think of users, uh, we just treated them as all the same. And actually, sometimes now I show a, a, a slide where it's got a load of sheep. And they're all the same, right? And actually, I asked them what particular breed of sheep, and that really goes a bit deep. <laughs> I think one person I've met in banking actually has recognized the sheep, so that's interesting. But anyway, that's how we treated them, right? Everybody gets exactly the same. And I think the reason for that is the fact that it was easier for IT to treat everybody the same, because actually for them, they treated users as completely separate away from them. You know, our IT department, when I was in well, I used to Bank of New York, it was a separate, I wouldn't say cupboard, it was a bit bigger than that, but we liked to lock ourselves away and do what we did in IT, and every now and again we get disturbed by somebody that needs help. And I think that's still proliferated quite a bit throughout the banking industry that I see. Not just banking, by the way, I see it in others as well. But So back to your point, do we need to do percentage? Yes, but then the question is, are we really looking after those personas and are we changing what they need, as in the people in those personas? Are we changing what they actually need to get their jobs done? 
from an IT perspective. And I'm not sure that we still do that yet, but we'll probably get into more detail around some of the tools and the things that we do. But yeah, so good question. Personas, we should do it. Not sure if we always do though. So, you know, when you think about that branch persona or what we do with branch technology, what what are you seeing as a kind of a big difference? I mean, for me, for me, different brand names, different things, but is it is it really that different? Yeah. So most of the time, people are going into the the branch, and they want to speak to somebody, right? Um, and if you think about a traditional branch, there was a, a kind of like invisible wall, glass, and you kind of went up to somebody and they had some stuff behind. You didn't really see what they did, but you knew you had to queue. And I think mean, every bank that I speak to at the moment is going through some kind of branch modernization, whatever you call it. It's some kind of process that's, I think what it is, it's let's put some of the things that you need to do, everyday stuff online. And in the big decision type stuff, you, you come into the, the branch for, right? And if you're going to do that, you need to make it welcoming. And the old way that the branches are set up, not just from a, an IT perspective, but also from the physical location piece and how you go in there and the setup, pretty much every branch um, needs to change. That's what I'm hearing from the banking. And that, that's interesting because the old IT that you used, I say old, traditional, whatever you want to call it, it still works, right? But you need to think about, well, do you need machines sitting in a physical um, lockdown area that you have to go into a room or something no you kind of it's more open plan you know you see somebody somebody comes up to you it's not like this yeah i'm gonna say i'm thinking of mary poppins i don't know why i think mary <laughs> poppins at this point but that that old bank you go in and every it's very regimented and that you know it's different now i think people today's generation as well the new generation coming in they, they don't want to go into that old branch method i'll be honest i haven't been into the branch for a long time Uh, everything i do but then i haven't had a mortgage recently etc so i think those big kind of life and changing events but yeah branch modernization is by far and away one of the things that i speak a lot to customers about yeah okay so so the branch modernization i think is, is interesting definitely interesting we hear a lot about branch closures Mm-hmm. Um, in many, many markets. Uh, you now, to be fair, there's one or two markets where I'm hearing of branch openings and, and those are for underserved areas and they're absolutely looking at all the modern tech. But predominantly looking at consolidation, reduction um, or otherwise. Um, but what, and so, so, so I think what that's tending to do is, to, is forcing the banks to think about all of the interactions they have with the customer and they're then trying to obviously do more and more and more and more things online. With with the with the younger um, customers, many of whom have never visited a branch, had never wished to visit a branch. So that whole process that that a bank goes to goes through, it's an it's an I think it needs to be an and, not an or. Yep. Um, and and and, and it, within that, um, when somebody does eventually visit that branch, it's got to be a wow experience that they're gaining something that they couldn't have done just by doing it on the phone. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, fighting with the technology or even making it look like it's very archaic, back to the Mary Poppins example, um, can't can't do a great thing for, for you know, why am I going there? So um, so what sort of things are you seeing that that are there to kind of aid the customer or... Um, augment that experience. So, you know, are you are you seeing that as a as a kind of like a high tech, high touch thing, or are you seeing it very subtly, or is it just depend on the customer or, or the, the you know our customer? So, 
<laughs> you mentioned about the younger generation coming into my mum has you know never she's completely opposite right she's never ever used a uh, a card she's got a card I'm sure it's sitting somewhere in the drawer at home um, in fact actually all of her life was done through the post office it was like a weekly uh, uh, kind of pilgrimage as far as I could tell right everything got done through the uh, through the post office but the kind of thing that I'm seeing at branches now is everybody wants that kind of you don't go to a set space. You come in, it's very welcoming. You know, there's a person, to, to your point, why would you want to go into the branch to do something you can do online, right? And also the other piece there is the new person coming in for the very first time. How do you attract people? And uh, I've always said this, and it goes for any industry as well, is um, if you walk in and um, somebody that's serving you has got an eight-year-old laptop, circa 90-whatever, or has been re-imaged 75 times and it's got some... Um, I'm not going to say the color, but that might give away the, the hardware type. But let's just say it's a traditional type of hardware. Let's put it that way. What does that say about your forward-lookingness as an organization and uh, also the people that are using it? And, um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, kind of work we're doing with uh, banking and other organizations at the moment around give the best tools to your staff. Because ultimately, if you give the best tools, your staff are going to be happy. They're going to be more productive. I'm making some generalizations here and we can get into the detail in a second, but you know, they're going to be more productive and if they're more productive and they're happier, they're probably more likely to go and ask their friends and their other people that they know to come and uh, maybe work for the bank as well, but also they're more likely to give a good experience to the people to come in. And to your point, then you know, you're getting that automation online piece from the bank, but you're getting that face, that trust. And I mean, that's the thing that I always see here is that trust element. And um, yeah, so, you know, simple things. I know it's, well, it's been doing this for about five, six plus years, but pretty much everybody wants some kind of mobile device now in the bank, right? That concept of a cashier with a fixed terminal, I think, is definitely going away. There are some stalwarts in the industry there. I, I was recently over in somewhere in Germany that still has some fixed location, fixed location, fixed location, fixed locations um, with the tradition you walk there, you know, and it depends. And you've got to, um, it's interesting when I spoke to them, they said they still got a demographic that they mostly look after. And for them, they did some research and some people still liked it. So I think you've got to mix these things up as well. And just like you said, the new people coming in doesn't mean everybody wants to do that. So you need to make sure that you look after your demographic and your target market. But yeah, that that kind of you know new devices, new way of um, serving people when they come in, that making sure that the staff are happy and ready to go and do that, it makes all the difference because it's a competitive market, right? Yeah, I think I think that actually resonates really well with 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 what I'm seeing too. I mean, you know, I, I do recall. Um, working in the branch previously and cust a particular customer used to come in every Thursday, withdraw his entire balance, count it and then pay it back in again. So, you know, I, so, you know, there are some, there are some strange, say strange customers. There are some things that customers do, um, that, um, that, that, you know, kind of feel very alien to the rest of us. Uh, the same with passbooks, you know, passbooks is a, is a, a thing that, um, you know, a solution for banking that's many, many years old. Um, many, most banks have probably um, eliminated that. But you st again, I still talk to some some customer banks from time to time who they need a position to be able to do passport updates because they got too many customers that got those passports. But over time, the millennials or the young the the younger um, new to banking alien concepts they you know. It, it, the whole thing's always been virtual. I'm coming in because I need some help, and and I, and I like that idea of of you know, g 
giving the staff the best technology so that they're not fighting it, so that they're, they've kind of got a bit of a smile on their face or uh, you know, to be able to then pass that on to, to the customer. I think that's, that's, really, that's really good. Um, so, so I think it's tr- the traditional thought, though, was really that one size fits all and that actually you can just do everything by hardlining back into the center and maybe just deploying virtual desktop to the whole of the company, um, including the branches. Um, you know, what, what are you what are you hearing, seeing or otherwise on, on that? You know, is, is VDI the answer to everything? So um, <laughs> I'm laughing to myself here. So if you, if you search on Twitter and you do a search for me, I've got this T-shirt and it says... Um, uh, year of VDI, and it's got a DeLorean underneath that. So. <laughs> Subtle joke there, but anyway, I quite often wear it because you know when I first joined VMware, by the way, twelve years now, uh, VDI was the thing that I first got um, presented with, and it's interesting because people forget why VDI originally was was a thing, right? Um, we think about it today because we got so wrapped up in all the complexities and uh, and then a lot's happened in twelve years. You know, one of the main reasons was offshore development, actually. You know, it was the primary use case. There was an insurance firm, can't name who they are. And actually, there was a guy internally called Spencer, which I sometimes trade off his fame. <laughs> uh, uh, and he helped create what we first in VMware would call our VDI broker. Um, and it was for developers where originally they used to ship PCs over there. And they didn't kind of like the idea of the IP going walkies. And they didn't like the whole kind of complexity of making sure these things were up to date and then far flung because it was a remote offshore. I think it was Southeast Asia somewhere, right? Um, so what they said is they came to us and they said, can we run at the time XP desktops on ESX on our you know hypervisor? And we were like, what the hell would you want to do that? <laughs> this is the server virtualization company. This is what we do. And we kind of looked at them and they went, well, let's, let's rephrase that. We've actually done it and we just want you to support it. And we said, oh, what do you mean? So we looked at it, and well, that's actually quite a useful and uh, an interesting use case. And fast forward 12 years, it's by far and away the biggest use case I speak to banks about today is development, developers, secure developers, right? And, and some of the big banks I speak to have got 5,000 plus developers. And how do you equip them with what they need to do? And you've got to kind of balance that security aspect with um, attracting the right people. So remember I said you want the best people working for you and you need to give them the best tools. Well, if they walk in and they're a developer and you want to kind of attract them and again you give them that lockdown seven-year-old re-emit 75 times machine that they can't really install their development tools and their chosen things that they need to do. And then there is an argument that maybe they shouldn't install their own tools. We'll get into that as well. Um, but actually, yeah, you, you want to make sure you have the right people. So you need to give them a bit of flexibility to use the right tools. Uh, Mac, right? Uh, I still see that Mac has choice for a lot of developers, but a lot of companies don't have and a lot of banking organizations do not have a, uh, a Mac policy. Well, actually, you know, they do. It's called sometimes la 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 i don't know that they exist and yeah i'll just pretend or put my head in the sand and yeah i've got some interesting examples where i went to one bank there was a security team sitting alongside the developers and the security guy said well we you can't use max today because you know the authentication that you need to use doesn't work with what we've got and the developers went, yeah yeah we just deployed our own reverse proxy to which the security guy kind of looked at him and went hold on what have you just done 
you just got around our entire security print. And it was, well, we needed to get this done and we couldn't get this stuff to work unless we did it. So we ended up just doing it ourselves. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing here is that modern technology and the way that developers need to work in that specific use case has kind of outstripped how we equip people. And I still think banking IT are, um, you know, clinging on to old traditional, let's say they work, right? They did work, they had their time and they were perfect, but they need to adapt. VDI is one answer, but it's not the answer. Although seven years ago, if I was to come into an organization because it was the only thing we sold, the answer is VDI, what's the question? <laughs> yeah, funnily enough, and uh, we try to get as much of it in as possible. But as we probably learned today, you know, it's not just about VDI is the end. It's one of many answers. And I think that's the thing that I'm speaking to customers about a lot at the moment is you need to relook at what you thought was one size fits all or one tool to rule that we spoke about earlier actually offline. Um, and actually what you need is the right tool for the right job. But what you then need to have is a platform around it that allows you to choose that right tool. So that's a kind of interesting discussion and depending on who you speak to and the you know, how old they've been in banking or how long they've been in banking, it depends on the answer. But yeah. Oh, so so actually that's interesting. So what you're saying is the developer persona of kind of winding back if that's a, a, an okay is actually split with a kind of like an offshore third party maybe not trust them so much yep. and uh in-house super special really look after them kind of yeah you can use max kind of person is that is that is that by and large it or 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 is it all just going mac no it's it's a bit of both right and actually even internally in VMware, I'd argue that sometimes we we think of developer as one type of persona. Actually, there's the mobile app developers that I, funnily enough, because I'm in digital workspace, I kind of get to hear about their stories. But there's also the uh, you know the um, the new kind of modern apps developers with Kubernetes and containers, etc. So actually, there's different personas of of developers. And you're right, there's a contractor um, kind of fleet, if you were. And they're the ones that potentially want to bring in their own tools because that's what they want to do. And as you quite rightly said, there's the ones that work full time and understand the banking systems and you kind of want to keep those people and they've got that, you know, that special skill and the, the special something you want to have. So, yeah, you're right. There's different flavors within there. Um, I think what we're starting to see, though, is that secure developer piece is the security bit is starting to rub up against those needs. And I see this not just in banking, by the way. It's, okay, well, you've had a model that's worked for a long time, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people know this model, um, but effectively you lock everything down, right? And um, a lot of contractor use cases, and let's let's focus on that, you kind of equip them in the same way you would do as if they were a full-time employee, right? And actually because they're contractors, sometimes you kind of go, well, they're only contractors, and I've seen this. So we won't give them the latest one. So remember that machine that was being re in 75 times. Maybe we give them the one that's not been done 95 times as opposed to the full-time employee. And there's definitely some of that that I see as well. But ultimately, it's the security model. The security model that we had doesn't fit this new world. Because the old security model that I see is very much you join the company, you get added to Active Directory, and um, you know it, all the security flowed from there. But what contractor is going to want their machine to be joined to Active Directory if it's their personal machine? So where I'm going with this is the old models of IT that we used to lock everybody down with, all predicated really that you went and worked for somebody full time. And then you normally had a device that was the device they gave you. 
and there's a one-to-one relationship between that device and you. And um, yeah, security model was good, but we can't do it in that way anymore. Um, so that's the, the change. And I think that's the thing I'm speaking to customers about. How do you adapt that security model? But there's regulatory stuff as well, which I'm sure you're aware of and we all love in the banking industry, right? So there's, there's different pressures there. Yeah, so let's 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 not worry about that data piece for a minute or the regulatory piece for a minute. But what something you just said I thought was very really kind of interesting is that you kind of you kind of hear this thing about the gig economy or the new way of working and and the future ways of working and and you know that thing about you know the future isn't what it used to be and and that kind of you know new ways of working. Um if you think about that, you know, when when you when you're employing a contractor, or when you employ a contractor or a consultant, you're paying a lot of money for their expertise. They're bringing in a capability that you that you don't have enough of in house. Why would you then shackle them to a, a way of of uh, uh, Why would you then shackle them to a way of working, um, or giving them only one set of tools that? doesn't enable them to be the craftsman or the you know that that you've brought them in to be so um so you know i'm sure there's many stories but you know the stories of oh a contractor came in he plugged his laptop into um into a spare port all of a sudden a whole bunch of viruses um, propagated across the the network uh, some of those impacted servers what you know and and, and then there's this massive um, witch hunt going on as to, um, uh, oh, sorry, once the dust had settled and the virus was removed, what happened? Who did it? How do we make sure that never happens again? And it usually is we don't use that person rather than rather than we need to think differently about how we're doing security. Um, but with what you're talking about, it's, it's, it's sounding like we're going to move, it's sounding like we're, we're going full circle and actually getting to a point where you can bring your device back in. So it's funny, we put some cliche phrases in here. So choose your own is the one that's doing the rounds at the moment as well, uh, which is a bit of a another one where we think we're giving people controlled freedom. So they, they're under the illusion that they're allowed to choose, but actually it's you know a preset amount. Because if you did bring your own, and bring your own's been doing the rounds for a while now as well, and we kind of got there with some solutions, but actually if you look at bring your own, it was still locked down to a degree, and I wouldn't say it was the best experience. We gave basic services onto a device, right, and typically on a phone, actually. But, yeah, the uh, the choose-your-own, p- plugging in the device. What most people do, and this is where VDI is still relevant and still a lot of people use it, is people can bring in a Mac, but then they have to access their uh, development environment through a VDI session. So I still see that as a relevant use case. Some would argue that you want to do it actually on the Mac, right? Um, but there's different ways of doing that. Now, the beauty of this, and not that I'm trying to do a blatant plug for our solution, is actually you need to work out what's right for you as the business. And there shouldn't just be a one-size, like we said, fits all. But yeah, Bring Your Own is still coming in. And we still see it a lot. But actually, Bring Your Own is another use case, right? So I think what IT did is, let's go all Bring Your Own. We, we love that, don't we? We like, Something comes along and we're all in. So I can give you loads of examples of that. So VDI was one. So we invented VDI and then everyone's great. Let's put everything onto VDI. And very quickly what we work out is that VDI is great, but it's not right for everybody. Namely, if you want to do, you know, you're in the middle of nowhere over a, 
I was about to say 56.6 link that is going you, back. You're going back, yeah. <laughs> you've not got enough bandwidth, right? Or you're in a very, let's put it, unreliable network condition. Let's put it that way. VDI is not for you. It's not the right use case. Um, but we tried to, because we're good like this with IT, if we put everybody onto it, then it makes our lives as IT simpler, right? Then we have that one tool to raw. We did it with application packaging. So slightly off piece, but related. You know, when I remember doing MSI packaging. And even before that, some of the early snapshotting. And, you know, I basically said, let's, let's work out every app we've got and let's repackage them all. Because then if I do it once and it works for everybody, and we're kind of guilty of that in the industry. And I think, like I said before, is don't go down that route of saying everybody gets the same thing because it's simple for you. What you need is a way of saying, well, that's right for you. That's right for you. VDI is right for you. VDI might be the right for branch use cases, might be right for developer, but physical might be for somebody else. Um, but that's the enemy of IT Typically, it's complexity, isn't it? They don't like complexity. Um, so if we can simplify things, great. Yeah. So that's that's the challenge, I think, a lot of, and I still see it in banking. And by the way, banking were the ones, if anybody, went all in with EDI. They're probably the, the ones right now that have got the biggest ones. I, I think of some of our big customers, 200,000 plus in India. You know, One of the early ones in Japan is 100,000 plus. Uh, so a lot of the banking were the ones that really pushed VDI to its limits, and we learned a lot from them. And I think we're still, you know, a lot of them still thinking that way and they almost don't want to get rid of it. Uh, so I still see that. Is VDI the right answer or not is the question you might say. But for banking, it's still, you know, it's very prevalent. So so thinking about that some more around um, that kind of, say, this gig economy thing, but people joining, people um, uh, having, having experience having experiences from um from other organizations um you know there's there's lots of reasons why um why they can't just bring every tool they use so email being a great example because you know th there's a whole bunch of banking regulations that're going to require um the, the so e emails to be stored for whatever the length of time is five seven unlimited years for e-discovery and all that kind of stuff so so there are some tools that um, people joining, whether they're a contractor or a perm, you know, you're just going to get. But for others, um, you know, there's there's going to be that that thing about how quickly from saying you're going to come, be that full time or part time, that's full time, part time, permanent or or contract, you go from saying yes to being productive, and you know the horror stories are. Um, are that it takes days, sometimes weeks, for a laptop to arrive or a device, let's say, to come, or a user account to be provisioned, or the right provision, the right access to be granted, and and all of that time, you're either giving your new employee a sucky experience, or you're paying for a contractor to do nothing. So, um, so what are you what are you seeing in that space? Because I, you know, I. I that's an area I think we do well in, right? Totally. And um, you might have seen some of our, uh, our reports we've done. So we, I think we commissioned something like five reports over the last couple of years talking about exactly that piece, which is there's this link between the employee experience on day one and even to a degree 
minus um, day one, if you want, or minus day zero. So, because a lot of co- companies think about day one as when you enter the building, but to your point, actually, your experience should start from when you verbally accept the contract or something, right? Or after, the or interview. maybe even, or maybe from the moment you apply. Well, good, good point. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, why would you want to imply in the first place? And to that point, you know, a lot of the research we've done is um, looking at that first day, but that. Why do you want to join a company? So <laughs> when I first joined the bank, uh, I was quite happy with this little agreement. I did work. They gave me money. I thought it was a you know a fair kind of thing. And I think I had to sign something. And we'll get into that in a minute as well. But things have changed. People don't just join a company for money anymore. I think there might be some people that still do that because obviously there's, there's requirements for money. But a lot of people look for extra things. And especially when you're entering the workplace for the very first time, you're looking for purpose. You know, you know us as VMware, we're very passionate about our values as well. And because um, we mean something and we, we stand for something and people want to feel proud of their company as well. And back to my point about asking your friends to come and join. So yeah, we've done a lot of studies that says if you make that the best experience, they're more likely to want to work for you, give their best, be proud of the company, go out on social media or whatever it is and go and preach to the hills about what a great company it is to work for. And that's going to have a cumulative effect. And we've done some studies to say that people that are in those kind of companies where they do have the best tools, etc., maybe they might have Workspace One, our solution, I don't know, but anyway, um, they're more likely to be in high-growth companies, companies with net promoter scores that are very high, etc., compared to the you know, uh, competition that don't. So definitely is a link there. But touching on that specific point around before you join, we think IT, but actually HR is very much in the process. And if you think about attracting people and making sure you've got the best people, I'm probably thinking that HR are more on the hook for that than potentially the IT are. But yet IT sometimes gets burdened with that responsibility of making the digital experience the best, yet HR actually get the benefit in effect. Well, the company does, let's put it that way, right? Anyway, so we can kick off all these things that are typically, to your point, take ages and might be horror stories around two, three weeks before you're productive, such that as soon as you hit day one, you're ready to go. And you enter the building, everything's there, your device is ready, your all your accounts are provisioned, everything you need to do to get productive is ready to go. So we're big believers in that. And we think there's a lot of money that can be saved. And uh, there's this little, um, I don't know if you come across this, I went to a UK lawyer firm. I can't go into more detail on that because they probably wouldn't like me saying this, but 22% first day lever rate is what they're talking about. Right? So people enter the building, they go to do their work, they stay for a day, and then at the end of that day, they say, you know what, this isn't for me. Now, I'm not saying that all of this is down to that 75 times re-imaged laptop that they got given, but it's a high kind of um, you know thing that kind of attracts them and keeps them to the company. If they're going to say, oh, no, it took me ages to get on and they gave me this old laptop. A lot of people are looking for companies that give them a bit of choice, have them that latest shiny device, allow them to work in a certain way. Maybe they could use their personal email like you were saying earlier. I know it's different in certain um, industries, but they're looking for extra stuff on top. Mm. And actually the digital experience is one of the things that they use as a, do I want to stay here? Now, there is another argument to say they're just straight out of university and they're allergic to work, maybe. I don't know, but that's why they leave. But I think it's more about what the company stands for, the benefits, what they're looking Is it going to be something they want to work for the next, I don't know, five, six years or something, maybe? So, yeah, definite link there. That's a good point. That That's a great story. So I, I'm hearing that, or I've, I've only heard that before in California. You know, the first time I've heard that in Europe too. So uh, so that's that's really interesting. So this whole thing about people turn up, we've invested in them, we've spent money, 
we've spent money in the process, much of which you don't see because of the amount of people, time, and and um, and, and that the length of time it takes to onboard somebody. All of that's wasted. And and you know, thinking about this run the bank, change the bank theme that we're that, that this podcast's around. It's not just the run inside of IT. It's the run across the whole of the bank. And and so, you know, investing in people, investing in that experience, not thinking about, oh, how do we sweat this PC or this software for longer? How do we give a, a, an experience where you feel invested in and that actually you, you know, you feel then you've got um, a vested interest in being successful in that, that uh, you know, that sounds like. Um, the kind of company you want to go and work for, not not somewhere you rock up, realize that you're just a name and a number, and maybe it's hard work, um, and then and then don't go back. I find that very interesting. Um, added to which, then thinking about the cost to onboard, um, there's always that thing about the cost to offboard, and and you know it's not often really thought about about the offboarding experience. Um, so what 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 are you hearing or what are you talking about our, with our customers about offboarding? Yeah, so I I kind of talked about that onboarding piece. There's a bit in the middle which is your day to day life because you're going to be with the company hopefully for a while and you need to like what you do every day. So there's a whole piece that we could get into around what we're doing there. Offboarding is interesting because offboarding are you really ever offboard? I'll give you an example of that as well. And I think I know where your question's going, which is around do I want to get rid of accounts so that people can't go and get access after they've left the company, they could go to competition, etc. But there's another piece to it, which is if you've got a pension, as an example, so we're starting to see this, um, you still need access, right? But just because you're off active directory in the bank doesn't mean that you can't, I mean, how do you give secure access to all your benefits and other things that you're allowed to do that you signed up for? So we're, we're talking about offboarding in the sense of you're never really offboard, you're just offboard certain services that you used to use when you're in the bank or at the company. So we're still giving you certain access, right? But you're totally right. The big thing is I want, as soon as you leave, switch off all services. And especially when you think about SaaS services, right? Again, banking's a little bit, how can I say, some people are not so invested in cloud, depending on what vertical in the banking industry you are. But definitely, there's a lot of people that say, right, as soon as I'm I'm out the company, I want to turn off, I don't know, Salesforce, um, Office 365, whatever it might be, those SaaS services. And a, a lot of companies find it quite hard to do that. So having the ability to instantly stop access uh, so you can't get back in is really important for that offboarding piece. But not just that, though. What about the device, like you said? And that kind of goes back to that bring your own. yeah. And you need to be able to turn those services off. Otherwise, bring your own is not going to be good because you could just walk straight home with all that stuff that's on your laptop that you could have your entire, I don't know, database of contacts and take that to your next job. And your previous employer may not like that, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Offboarding. So I look at offboarding slightly different. I don't see it as the end. I see it as a, you know, it's just a different stage in that kind of process of how a person, if you like, comes into contact with an organization. Oh, no, that's actually great because that, that's not a context I'd thought about it before. This is one of those questions I didn't realize I should have been asking. So, so yeah putting thinking about that if you if you've if you're using a saas server for your payroll that's linked to your corporate email address and then you want to get your p60 after you've left for your tax returns or, or whatever you might need to do how do you do a password reset 
So I, I, I like that. I like that set of use cases there, Spencer. I hadn't thought of that before. So no, um, I tell you why you haven't though, and it's, it's a good point. And I'll be honest with you, I I hadn't till maybe about a year and a half ago thought of this and we're majoring on it. It's one of the things and I think a lot of people I speak to who are from IT don't think about it because IT just think about I need to give you services when you join and when you leave you're not allowed them. But HR, like I said before, HR would be interested in what I just said, right? Because they need to give you stuff ahead of time and they need to give you stuff afterwards. And that's that context of actually when I'm going to speak to customers now, I'm not just speaking to IT, I'm speaking to security, speaking to lines of business within the bank HR as well, but I'm talking to them as a joined up process. Because actually, if you do that, then you're more likely to make a true digital workspace work, right? As opposed to what I've always done, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have done as well, is just think on the IT context. You know, you don't have a device anymore, and you're not allowed to get this. Uh, it's a lot more than that. Yes, absolutely bang on right. And, 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 Again, you know, you've now got me thinking about a whole bunch of things. Again, back to run versus change, and where there's potential to business case for some of this kind of a capability. Even though the benefit might not actually be to IT, the benefit might then be in contracts that HR have or or whomever. So I, I that's um yeah, that's really opened my eyes to that. So so yes, you're right. The the other bit, though, is we just skipped over all of that productive time where you're doing lots of good work for the company and, and enjoying working there and and and, and, and that uh, productivity. And, and let, let's spend a few minutes on that, too. You know, so, so I've started. I'm not leaving yet. What am I doing? What am I? What, you know, what do we do differently now than than, than we'd have done 10 years ago? Right. So I think first thing then is your role what what you actually do and how you work so let's just take a and i talk to customers a bit about this so we've always as it been in charge of in effect automating office stuff i know we talked about the persona of the branch but actually a lot of our history is steeped in people coming to an office which is why you know the very earliest things was you came to the office, you sat down at a desk, and there was a machine of some description. You know, my, my very first day in um, Bank of New York, by the way, was virus checking using a famous bit of software. I had a doctor at the beginning, and I think I sat down. There was three hundred eighty-seven, you know, five and a quarter. I did go about that far, and I had to literally go through them all, right? But it was very desk-based. You know, the, the modern world and. I see a lot of pressure, especially from banking around real estate optimization, hot desking, although you're starting to see other bits about people actually want their own place to come and work as well. So you're starting to get almost like a kickback. But my point there is that the way that you actually do your day-to-day work has changed. I mean, I get up in the morning, I do stuff instantly, probably as soon as I wake up, much to the annoyance of my wife. And I probably don't stop as much as I could do. But so and it divides into the different personas. But my point being there is it's not just you come to the office and you do one thing and you bit of, you know, input. Your role is varied now as well. So how can we make and, and I'm kind of again plug in a little bit, but how can we make your life once you're doing that everyday work more productive? And I think what we're trying to say is a bit cliche, meaningful moments. So, um, you know, when you're doing something, make it quick, make it easy, make it almost like a delight. I know that sounds, oh, I've just done something for work, it's a delight. But if you can get something done and there's some kind of satisfaction element to it, 
So we're starting to build things into the solution around automation. A quick example is that you probably use this actually internally. And I used to have a team, by the way, um, signed off their expenses. So inside our solution at work, which we you know we go to our market with, it's um, the ability to do quick swipe left, swipe right for approve and deny, and that kicks off a workflow that allows you to you know sign off somebody's expenses, rather than having to go into some system, put in your two-factor authentication, go onto some intranet site which you can't get because it's not on a browser on a certain device that you can't access if you're on a bring your own device that you have to be in. You know what I mean? So these are the, I'm, I'm, I'm illustrating for effect, but I find a lot of internal processes and regulations that stop people doing stuff very quickly because that's just the way it's always been done. Uh, so if we can make those kind of things easier for people so they can get the work done quicker and easier and nicer, then they can get on and do the things that helps them, you know, give their time back to the bank or do other things. But it also means that they're, they're happier as well, right? Not doing those menial tasks and taking ages, they can get on and do the things and that they actually really enjoy. So we're doing a lot of work around that piece, your everyday, day-to-day interactions. Now, what's interesting there, I would say, is that's where you need to think about not just the internal applications, not just the device, the security. It's all interlinked. The experience, I think I started off with the experience for the uh, person in the bank is closely linked to the device they use as well as the security around it. And if you break those things apart, it typically isn't of a nice experience. So I talked about Active Directory, didn't I? Well, a lot of our security models are still based on that. And that's why the device is normally based on it, because we kind of join the domain, we put down lots of security policies, and everyone's locked down to the empty degree. That can't work in the, in the, you know, the new world with applications coming from everywhere. And I think that's the big thing that I see a lot of banks trying to wrestle with, is how do I keep it secure and nice, like I used to, and locked down and regulatory good, and everybody's happy that way, but actually still give the good ex- user experience. And that's that balance that they're trying to work with. And I know we're going to be covering security in, in a in a later podcast. But I've, here's a question then. My Mac that I've just had um, replaced, it's not been domain joined. And, and I understand that when we issue a Windows PC at VMware now, that's not domain joined. So how can that be? <laughs> So it's funny, actually, because some people look at you in stark amazement about, what do you mean? Like, my world's just crumbled. My whole concept of how I manage things has just thrown out the window. I, I resemble that remark. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right so what, what do I do then? How do, how do I secure things? And it kind of goes back to that, remember I talked about offboarding. So the concept of AD being the only, if you want, source of truth. And I also talked about HR as well, right? So if you think about it now, the only thing that's kind of, across the whole piece is the person. So this gets into the, the the model of security that we talk to customers about, which is zero trust security. And now I know zero trust is one of those terms at the moment, a bit like cloud and a bit like digital workspace, you could argue. It kind of means a lot of things to a lot of people. But for us, it means you start putting the security based on the person. And then zero trust to us means start off from a, a point of no trust and then build up the trust. And one of those things is Active Directory, but it's not all of them. And as I said earlier, so how do you give secure access to somebody who's left for the offboarding that isn't using Active Directory? Well, you need another directory service or another way of understanding who that person is. And typically, HR would still have records. So do we need to think about security models that use HR as a source of truth? And AD is one of those things. Now, to your point then as well about the Mac, well, Mac doesn't necessarily need to be joined to the domain. I still, by the way, five years ago, I think we still did. 
And the reason why we did is because we used to do it with PCs, so why wouldn't you do it with a Mac? But nobody could tell you why, but the reason was is because we used to do policy enforcement using Active Directory. Now, the policy enforcement now, if you go down a, let's, let's introduce another cliche term, modern management, unified endpoint management, if you go down that route, you don't need to necessarily use Active Directory to enforce policies anymore, right? So that's that's the key difference here. In this world of multiple device types with different operating systems, you don't have to stick with Active Directory as the only way of doing it. But because we're so invested in that history, typically we still do. And a lot of the customers will have a Microsoft strategy. But interestingly, for some reason in France, I, I see a dynamic that there's quite a lot of French customers who are more Google Drive now or Gmail and G Suite. And so for us, uh, as the platform, we kind of don't care if it is that or, or the other. It's, to my point before, you, you, does it matter? Do you have to have one thing? Some people could have both, right? So you could have, I'll give you an example. So Nike, big customer, spoke at VMworld about a year and a half ago. 40% of their staff, their branch, so kind of relates to the banking, but obviously not banking, it's trainers. Um, 40% of their staff do not touch email or corporate systems. Their only interaction with head office, if you like, back office function is through an EPOS system. So back to that, and let's think about the dynamic in retail. You want the best people to get their best service in front of the customers. That's what's going to get them into the store on top of what they can do online. Well, you know, if you're not really getting the right people because there's no engagement from head office, only through a put this trainer in at this price at some system at the front of the till, how are you going to retain the best people? So Nike went through a whole thing of how do we give corporate comms, keep the people invested, and they're using Workspace ONE, ironically. <laughs> yeah, um, but... But to my point there, they didn't need Active Directory for 40% of those staff. And, and, and is that a BYO kind of a, th- a thing? Is that, is that how they're getting them? Or well, is it, or is it, it can't be through the, the EPOS terminal? Well, right? actually, it's a mobile device, right? right. So they're, they're using iPads and other glorified nice tablets that could, you know, there are other people that make devices out there. But, you know, again, that kind of, you walk into a store, you look at the, the person, you know, I know we always use the cliche Apple, but it's true. And a lot of people model that experience that they like when you walk in, that Apple-esque store-esque um, experience. So they're, they're, you know, they're going down that route. But then what they can do is, well, why do you need an EPOS system that's physically located? You know, Why can't you do remote, um, mobile payments walking around the store? Even to the point where you could customize certain articles you sell on the fly using said mobile devices. But then what I mean then is once you've got that in front of the person, you're able to do other things that you couldn't do before. Maybe you can give uh, corporate communications. You used to use intranets. Um, maybe you can say, hey, look, you know, we're respecting, I don't know, 11 o'clock for, as it was for Poppy Day. Um, we'd like everybody, and you don't send an email for that, but how can you touch all of your, your people? So interesting what we're starting to see is this dynamic around HR are very interested in this for communications. It's not just IT that want to lock it down. You can use it as a, a force to enable your staff. So I'm starting to see that as well. And not so much in banking, but I think there's some things they could learn from retail. Okay, okay. Yeah, so get I get that. And, and I know we talked a lot, we've spent a lot of time talking about branch and a bit about the kind of the developer multiple developer personas. Um and I think a, a lot of what we've talked through is very relevant in that kind of head office um central office is the need for an office kind of kind of um kind of thing but do be do you see that the the kind of the head office environment it, uh, or the head office worker 
has a different set, of, a different profile of requirement, um, particularly around collaboration, particularly around integration of bringing all of those things together, so that they're not fighting the admin and fighting the uh, the environment. So. Collaboration is definitely one of the the main things. Everybody's going down some kind of collaboration suite. I think I might have mentioned a couple of them before, right? So there's some big players in the market. And as part of that, unified comms always comes up, which relates back to VDI, right? Because I used to say that unified comms was kryptonite for VDI, along with high-end graphics. (laughs) So in the early days, it was shocking, right? So you try to get somebody to use a soft phone on VDI. It just didn't work. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lot of lessons throughout that time. And there's some great integrations we've done with said unified comms providers that now in the solution. So, yeah, I think to your point earlier, uh, office rationalization, I definitely see that as a big thing. And then that then kind of dictates, well, how you're going to equip your staff in those office locations. So you, you tend to see these kind of open working environments as well, come down hot desking, meeting rooms. So meeting rooms is coming up more and more. I see a lot in that bit. You know, uh, we're working on some cool stuff that I demoed actually to a set of customers the, last year in VMworld. Kind of like you walk in and um, well, your phone, which managed by, in this case by Workspace ONE, but it knows a lot about you. So um, what about door entry systems to get into the office first of all? So we announce some stuff around um, kind of your smart badge to get in. Why can't that be on your phone? And then you just verify your face on the phone, which then says, oh, it's Spencer. Hopefully it's Spencer. Kind of looks not as good as what you used to in his badge. So it's biometrics, let's be honest. I mean, face ID is specific to Apple, so others may okay. say, oh, we do it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, hello, as an example. But in effect, you need to verify, because otherwise somebody could pick up your phone and go and walk anywhere and get in. So it needs to double check it's you. So it's two-factor authentication, right? But my point there was, you were asking about the, the office environment, what you're seeing. Hmm. We see a way of bringing it all together. So for us, Workspace One, I'm, I'm going to call it out here, it's the place where people do their job day to day, but they also have their identity there in effect, which is exactly to my point there when, when they walk into the building. Uh, but when they get into the uh, conference room or into the uh, meeting room, we're working on some things that automatically log you on. Uh, kind of knows when your your next scheduled appointment is, even to the point we're working on, particularly out today, where it could adjust automatically the temperature. No, I, I like that, and 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 and, and makes a ton of sense. So 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 you, <laughs> I liked the term um, about kryptonite and um, VDI and 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 unified comms. So traders, oh. kryptonite to corporate IT standards. Oh. What do you think? Is that fair? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I I got involved actually one of my earliest um, probably about seven years ago. I can't say who they are as well, but they used to provide leading trading floor systems. Wow, so that narrows the field down a little bit. And anybody who's done anything around traders know there's a particular set of requirements. They are like the legends because investment banking and sort of, you know how they do the, the trading etc. They kind of make most of the money. So typically, a lot of them had high end machines that sit under the desk that. You know, money's no object. Even where you used to have support directly for the trader floor. Because if that's down for a couple of minutes, that's whatever trading that can't happen. So direct impact. Yeah, but that's that thing, isn't it, though? There's never, you never get thanked by the trader from helping them dodge a, a bad sale. You only get you only get told that you've uh, you prevented them from making a good one, right? <laughs> well, I was never directly involved to that degree, but I've heard stories. And I remember speaking to all the um, uh, people that were almost like first line 
walking up and down the trailer floor, which I always thought was a bit of a thankless job, but I'm sure there's others as well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, traders are interesting. So there's been a lot of things in this throughout 10 years as well. So there's been some hardware-based solutions. Uh, so the thing about Trader for is they've got some specific requirements. One of them is they have normally a keyboard that's the most complicated keyboard you've ever seen. It's got more mouse, kind of like, it's like a, anyway, it's it's complicated, let's put it this way. And they need multiple screens, and they seem to be get, needing more and more screens. And they need typically low latency as well. It has to be like instant, you know, some of the response times needs to be really, you know, quite quite a lot. So what's happened there is that the, the cost of the device underneath uh, the table has got more and more and more. Um and I'll give you another example of where you can actually save money, which kind of goes back to your run, change, etc. So VDI has always been a good solution. But when you can do high-end graphics, it wasn't a good solution. But we fix that in the industry. So we do a lot of stuff with NVIDIA, etc. Um, so you can have a nice Trader 4 platform now, run on... Obviously, you can. there are other hypervisors, but we'd like you to use VMware for obvious reasons. But you can work on others. Uh, they can work on physical. But I'm definitely seeing a, a load of people going back to it. And it goes in waves. Right, um, Some people go, oh, we're going to go back to physical, then we're going to go back to VDI. But actually, in the last couple of years, I've, I've done a lot of work with some stock markets as well that have got high-end trader floor systems running on our solution. Because we fixed all of those issues that used to be kryptonite that aren't now. Right, But yeah, it's, um, it's interesting on that whole trader floor one. Uh, what I do sometimes see is some of the software providers, they don't always um, officially rubber stamp it. So you sometimes have to look at the technologies ready, but some of the licensing models and some of those things from the uh, software providers haven't quite caught up. And that's not alone mm. in banking, by the way. So, yeah. Mm. But Trader Floor is definitely one of those big things. And I've got a lot of history there, actually. Yeah, well, and, and that is that thing. The run versus change. There's a lot There's a lot spent on run, but that's because there's big income to be earned. Yep. Um, you know, there are, you know, so I, I know of customers who have got water-cooled Trade Floor desks. Um, I know of other customers, as you say, where where they've put they VDI enabled the whole thing, and they've put the um, the hyperconverged box as close to the, as the exchange as latency will allow. Yep, or physics would allow. Um, so you know, there's lots of different lots of different approaches, but I think there's there's um, trying not to take the solution from one bank to the next, but try and redo the problem each time is probably a better place to start than than kind of trusting what you knew worked 10 years ago. Security. I definitely think there's an option for banking to look at security in a new way, not just from the, the traditional regulatory sense, but how that links with the, the experience. So we talked about that onboarding. I think, you know, focusing on the employees is really important and how they all come together. And IT have got a pivotal role in that. I, I sometimes see IT feel like they're getting kind of lost a little bit in this and everything's going around them. But actually... Then they know a lot. We've learned a lot. You and I have got a lot of shared history. And actually, they're pivotal to this new change. And they can bring everything they've done in the past. I'm not saying they do exactly what they did before, but they can take a lot of their goodness and bring it into the new world. And actually, I think there's a benefit there. Mm. So it's not like, a, you know, listen to this, all the world's changing and what am I going to do? I think there's a lot of goodness we can bring. But they should think about security, user experience, and that, that kind of um, management as a whole. And there's lots of opportunities there. But yeah. Well, and what, spicing the three together to make a difference or, or to think of them in a different way? Well, not thinking of them separately. Yeah, think of them together. That's the main point. Yeah, bring yeah. them together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Uh, for me, the kind of over, overall moral of the story today has been don't rely upon what you've known in the past. Take a fresh look. There's new capabilities 
and we're solving a ton of problems we didn't even know were problems. For me, that's a really nice, a nice way to kind of get to a, a, a close for today. Right, look, thank you. I really appreciate the time. I appreciate the uh, the candor and um, the few cliches we said we wouldn't say that which which we've managed to get. Little anyway. cliches, <laughs> but hey, it is what it is. All right, thanks, Spence. Until next time, thank yeah, you. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks for listening today. For more information, please check out the show notes, vmware.com, or follow me on Twitter at Matthew Owen or on LinkedIn at Matthew.O'Neill.